Hi, welcome to the cottage. We are a lively outpouring of an exciting adventure into God's riches and glories in Christ Jesus. We really work to activate an excitement for the kingdom of God as it is in the now until it comes into its fullness. We invite you to our sessions to explore the heights and depths of God's love in a fuller bandwidth. I'm Dr. Ken, the pastor of a small independent church seeking to return to the Lord's zeal in times where apathy and lethargy rule the day of the complacent. We try to shake things up and offer a temporary home as we travel this sod until we reach higher ground and connect into the everlasting life from above, here on the earth as it is in heaven. For more information, you can email us at thecottage at dken.cc. That is thecottage at dken.cc. Ah. Welcome back to the cottage. We turn to our discussions in Isaiah chapters 9, verses 6 and 7. Now looking through the lens of Genesis and connecting it with Isaiah 32, verse 17 and 18's peaceable habitation. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. We talked a little bit about this last week with the Christmas story, and I wanted to there's so much I wanted to say in that little message that I couldn't get in. And so I want to just go back to uh, Matthew chapter 1 and how Matthew begins. Of course, Matthew begins in our Bibles. We have the ending of the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament, Malachi. And they're waiting for this coming one. And then it's like 400 years later, after a lot of things that go on, that we get Matthew opening up the New Testament. And he says, interestingly, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And he goes into a genealogy. But it's just the generations. And actually, it's, it's actually the book of Genesis. <laughs> it's the beginnings. The generations. It's, it's tying back to the beginning. He's going all the way back to the beginning. And he's talking about Jesus Christ. And of course, he's going to introduce Jesus as a king. And a king needs to start off with his... You know his family line, and so they've got to make sure he's tied to David, which automatically ties him to Abraham. And so Matthew begins. You know the first word in the New Testament is "biblos," the book <laughs> of the generations of the gen- going back to the generations, and that goes right back to Genesis two four that we talked about this morning. We talked about Genesis in the days of creation. These are the generations of the heavens and earth. So we went through Genesis chapter one all the way to chapter two verse three in Sunday school. And then the very next verse, these are the generations of the heavens and earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God had made earth and heavens. And so here you have the genealogy or the generations. And it's this idea of generations. And we were in Isaiah last week. We were talking about a son. And so the continuation, the reason why you have a son is to carry on the next generation. Okay, so this is the idea. So what we're having in Matthew, what we're having in the Christmas story is God's next generation. And Paul describes it, Jesus, as the next Adam. It's a next generation. And when we go on into Genesis, Genesis is divided up by this phrase. This is the book of the generations of Adam. So Genesis is divided up into ten of these. It divides the book. Ten of these phrases, this is the book of the generations. And Matthew starts off providing the next one. And so you have these nice, if you take Matthews, then you have 11. (laughs) You have it all set up in the 12, and they're all divided up. And the beginning was Genesis, 
And then Jesus is a brand new beginning. A new generation. In the day that God created man in his likeness of God, he made him. And it goes on in Genesis 5 to describe Cain being born in the image of his father. And Adam was in the image of his father, God. And Luke's genealogy goes all the way back to Adam. Goes all the way back to Adam. To show that Christ is from the beginning. So our Christmas story goes all the way back to the beginning of these generations. And you know in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15, where at the fall God says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed, Satan, and her seed, Eve. Of course this is New Year's Eve. So I had to get Eve in here somewhere. And I couldn't fit Eve in last week because we had so much going on at Christmas. Eve. So we've got to get Eve in here. But it's the seed. Notice he's talking about automatically Adam and, Adam and Eve. Because, Paul says in Romans 5, because of what happened at the fall, sin came about brought death. Adam and Eve knows they're going to die. But what does God promise them right off the bat? Seed. The next generation. And what does God do? He plants a garden in Genesis chapter 2, but then he plants humans in the garden. And they were designed by God from the beginning to take the seed of Eden and go out and take the rest of the earth and make it like Eden. And they end up doing that. But it's not exactly how God intended the plan. It's not. And so you have this battle that we talked about, the seeds this year. It it shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel and you have this battle between the seeds of darkness and the seeds of light. The seeds of Christ. The sons of light, the sons of darkness, the children that we talked about last week. Children. The sun. Isaiah 9, 6. And Genesis 8, it says, While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest. There's always going to be seasons. There's going to be the winter and then the spring's going to come where the seed time, and then the harvest in the fall, cold and heat. She gave me an amen on the cold, see? She's right there. She's, you're just really good at this. Summer and winter. <laughs> Day and night shall not cease. But he's tying it to the seed. The seed. So we do have Coach Lofgut 90 passing away, but then we have children being born and we have this this wonderful thing the generations it's not going to stop because God is going to continue on until that day until that day but he started off in Genesis he separated the light from the darkness day one and day and night's not going to cease until God's done with it all the way to the end now this is how the Hebrew Bible ends they all reorder the books in a different order than we do and this is the last verse in their Bible they don't stop at Malachi. He's one of the prophets. They put the Malachi up in a different spot. And they end their book with Second Chronicles 36. This is the last verse when the way the Jews organize their Bible. Same books. They just organize them in a different order. Thus saith Cyrus the king of Persia, All the kingdoms of the earth hath the Lord God of heaven given me, and he hath charged me to build an house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is there among you of all his people? The Lord is God be with him and let him go up. And Cyrus is given the last word of the Jewish Bible. And he's the king of Persia. 
And what does he say? That the temple that was destroyed by the Babylonians in 586, I am commanded to see that it gets rebuilt. And the period after this verse is known as the second temple period because in 515 BC they build that second temple that Ezra and Nehemiah talks about. But Cyrus is last. What is the last thing in the Jews? This is the end of their Bible. Because they don't pick up Matthew. <laughs> the last thing is that God wants to have a place that we talked about in Sunday school. So if you miss Sunday school, you don't have to catch someone and take them out to eat. But a place. God desires a place where He can meet with His people. And He's going to get a foreign king, Cyrus, the king of Persia, to cause this to happen to be built. God will use them to get His job done if He can't use us. God will use them if He can't use us. That's a, a somber moment for the Jews to understand. They have hope that God's going to rebuild this house. He does in 515. So that God and His people can be reunited. God was establishing a place to meet with His people in Eden. And then He ends with that. In Matthew 2.15... And was there until the death of Herod, that it might be filled with spoken of the Lord by the prophet saying, Out of Egypt I have called my son. We went through this last Sunday. Out of Egypt I have called my son. Jesus is the son, but in Hosea's day, who's the son? It's the children of God. It's us. We are the seed of God. We're the offspring. We are his next generation. For Hosea... He's quoting Hosea chapter 11 verse 1 that we went through last week. Okay. I have called my son out of Egypt and Abraham's family went down there. Abraham went down there but then Abraham came back. Then Abraham's family went down with Joseph being one. But then the rest of Joseph's family joined him. Jacob, Israel, Jacob, Israel. And then out of that they became a from a family to they became a nation. And Moses actually creates Israel, the nation, ex nihilo, out of nothing, out of Egypt. They come out of Egypt and God gives them everything. Hosea 11, 1. When Israel was a child, then 11. There's the child. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. We did Isaiah 9, 6 last week. Israel was a child and I loved him and called my son out of Egypt and if I called my son out of Egypt then I will continue and that's what Christ is doing I brought you out of Egypt do you not think I can bring you out of Rome do you not think I can bring you out of sin out of Satan do you not think I can do this we went back to Hosea 1.9 then God said call his name Lami for you're not my people and I will not be your God. They were cut off from God because of their sin. And then Hosea 2.23, I will sow unto her and to me in the earth. Again, I'm going to go back into the earth just like I breathe in Genesis 2.7. I'm going to go back into the earth and out of the earth, those plants we talked about in Genesis that come up out of the ground and out of the ground come humans. I'm going to breathe in my breath and out of the earth is going to come humans. Just like the earth came out of the waters. Just like a child was born, the pregnant woman's water breaks and out of the womb the child comes. I am going to do new birth. 
And I will have mercy upon her that not obtain mercy. And I will say to them, which are not my people, you are my people. God is going to restore. And in Christ, we take upon the name of the Lord. And we shall be saved. And there it is. Luke 2, 11, we did last week. For unto you is born this day in the city of a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Following Isaiah 9, 6, for unto us a child is born. And we went through new birth that Jesus provided for us last week. Unto us a son is given. And we discussed how John 3.16 is actually a Christmas verse. For God so loved the world that he gave at Christmas time his unique son. His unique son. We talked about that earlier before I went to Nepal. How that word only begotten means unique. One and only son. That whosoever believed in him would not perish and have everlasting life. God is going to give us life through this son. So we have that. Isaiah 9, 6. We have that. We have, for unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. What's the next thing? We didn't finish Isaiah 9, 6 last week. What's that? And his name shall be called. He's got so many names. Wonderful counselor. The mighty God. The everlasting father. And the prince of peace. What do you think of when you think of prince? Prince. Unto us a child, a son. Prince of peace. Let's look at prince. Prince is a male member of a royal family other than the sovereign, especially the son of the sovereign. There's lots of talks about Charles. They weren't even already to abdicate the throne because they're like, we waited so long because Elizabeth took forever and now Charles, you're so... Just skip Charles. We want to move on. Let's go next. Can I change the channel? Let's just go straight to William. They're already like, let's get Charles out of here. Sorry, Dad. (laughs) He's king for a day. The son. The prince is the son. There you have child, son, prince. And he's the prince of peace. And through him we're going to get the peace. And that's all you hear about at Christmas time. And I told you in Sunday school we're going to talk about this peace. Prince of peace. Isaiah 9, 7 goes on the very next verse. And of his increase, uh, of the increase of his government, not ours. When our government increases, what happens? (laughs) Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. This is peace that we talked about out of Genesis. The peace that God established from the very beginning. Jesus is going to reestablish that peace. My grandmother, her, her mother, your mother. Favorite song we sang at her funeral. Let there be peace on earth. Peace on earth. Goodwill to men. Peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David, upon his kingdom, to order, to establish it with judgment and justice. And we talked about how justice is required for peace in Sunday school. We'll get back to that. Goes on. From thenceforth, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. There's our host again from Genesis. And God's zeal is to bring about this peace. God's zeal is to make sure this peace comes about. And it's through the Son that we get this peace that we're all looking for, whereby we can fulfill the great commandment to love God with every fiber of our being and to love everyone else. And all of creation can come together in this beautiful harmony. We see this in Zechariah's naming of John. 
at the Christmas story. Remember Zechariah goes into the temple and he's hanging around church too long and people are like, what's going on? He went inside, he's not coming out. What happened? Because he encountered the angel Gabriel. And he's silent because he does not believe what God said. And so God silences. Brings peace to his lips. <laughs> Says, I'm going to let you shut up for a while because I got something I need to do. And when they name, when it comes time to name John, then they say, what's his name? And Elizabeth says, John. And they say, there's nobody in your family named John. Why in the world would you name your son John? Surely Zechariah didn't want that. And Zechariah is trying to write it out and he gets his lips loosed. And in that, in Luke chapter 1, verse 79, what does he say? John the Baptist comes to give light to them that sit in darkness. Genesis, light, darkness. In the shadow of death, <clears throat> to guide our feet in the way of peace. John is coming to introduce the way of the peace. Now we spent so much time on John's proclamation where he quoted Isaiah 40 to prepare the way of the Lord. We spent much time this year on that, the way. And it's the way of peace. We see it also in the shepherds at Jesus' birth. At Bethlehem, Right? When the angel appears to them, what it said, glory to God and eyes, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. There it is, the song. <coughs> Singing the same song. Their mother passes away. She goes to God. And what are we singing at her funeral? What they're singing in heaven. This is the heavenly chorus. What, is, what do the angels come and sing? About peace on earth and goodwill toward men. Peace with God and peace with each other. Something we can't find because Russia and Ukraine are supposed to be related or something. They can't get along. The whole mess in Gaza. We're looking for this peace that God's promised. Christmas is all about peace. Simeon at Jesus' dedication at the temple in Jerusalem. When they go and they take the child to be dedicated according to the law. What does he say? Lord, now let us thy servant depart in peace. I can now join the peace that's in heaven because you're bringing the peace to earth. I've done my part. I've seen salvation come according to thy word. You did it according to your word. This peace, peace, and I get this from our text that I'm using for today's sermon. Isaiah 32, verses 17 and 18. The work of righteousness shall be peace. The whole purpose of righteousness is to bring about peace on earth and goodwill to men where we love God and we love each other. And the effect of righteousness, quietness, insurance forever. And my people shall dwell in a peaceable habitation. That's exactly what God was building in Genesis. And we went through all that in Sunday school. He was building a peaceful habitation where we could have peace with God and peace with each other. The cross. The vertical and the horizontal. Peace. Where the two can come together as one. And they meet at the cross. In peace. And have a habitation. Where we dwell with God. And we dwell with each other. In peace. Going back to what we said in Sunday school. Yahweh creates... The world in a state of righteousness resulting in peace. This is where this scholar, Douglas Knight, gets it. 
from Isaiah 32. The, that righteousness results in peace. This is how God set it up. He ordered everything in six days and set it up to be a place of peace. Any act of sin or injustice introduces discord, shattering that peace. Restoration requires acts of justice to reestablish the righteous so we can get back to the peace. Justice is not merely punishing the guilty, as I discussed in Sunday school, but as restoring the victim to participation in the community. Only when everybody, all, can enjoy the fullness of life in the community does righteousness reign, where we all can be at peace with one another. And your peace doesn't cause you to take my peace. (laughs) But we both have peace. It can't be you get peace and I don't get peace. It has to be so that we're in harmony that my peace and your peace can coexist. That's the key that God established. And he's talking about how the Hebrews understood the creation account. How God set everything up in the beginning. And then we go to again Isaiah 32, 17 and 18. Continues. In sure dwellings. God set up initially dwellings. In quiet resting places. And that word for resting places just happens to be the word in Hebrew, mincha. Just so happens to be that's what's my wife's name in Nepali. The two are unrelated. They're two different languages. It's just the sound mincha in Hebrew and mincha, renika in Nepali combined at the same point. And boy, do I get peace when I'm with my wife. I found peace with her. Just happens to be that way. It's not that. It's coincidence. It's not anything to do with the languages. But the rest, this place, and we talked about this in Sunday school, we talked about this in previous teachings this year. Thus saith the Lord, the heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build unto me? And we talked a little bit about this on Wednesday night when he's asking this question. What is he asking? Like we ask a question out of Jeremiah. He's saying, what are you going to build me? If, if heaven is my throne and I fill the heavens and the whole cosmos, how can you build me something? But that's exactly what God wants. He wants a time and a place. That's all in Genesis. He is working in Genesis chapter 1 to have times and places so that we can meet with Him in quiet resting places. That's what He desires. We went through Hebrews 10.25. Go back to that message. We did that on a Sunday night. We explained why you're not supposed to forsake the assembling together. It's because God wants to meet with His people. He's given us full access. Why are we not accessing God? Why are we not accessing God? And where is the place of my rest? Where can I sit down and spend some time with you this week? Where can I have time with you? Now, I was telling you last week that they banned Santa Claus in Nepal. The mayor of Nepal, of Kathmandu, banned Santa Claus. And God's like, where can I meet you? Where can we get rid of all this extra stuff in your life that doesn't really matter? And where can you and I meet together in harmony and experience that peace that I've always intended for you to have? That you're not allowing the worries of this life. Because cast your cares upon me. You're not allowing the sicknesses. You're not allowing the stresses. You're not allowing the sin. You're not allowing all these things to separate you from me. Where you can participate with me. And we notice that Genesis chapter 2. 
verses 1 through 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished. God was finished. All the host, even the heavenly host. He finished it all. He made both heaven and earth. And on the seventh day, God ended his work which he'd made. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he'd made. And he blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. Because then he had rested from all his work which he'd made. Why? Because he wanted to take the seventh day to have a day that we could all get together as family, with each other, and with God. God and his people. To come together. To enjoy everything that's been going on for six days. To enjoy everything. To, to be able to be connected. I keep telling you about the third temple. The only third temple that the Bible talks about. I'm sorry, it's not what they've done to Ezekiel chapter 40 through 48. And they're trying to build something in Israel. Are they going to get to Israel after Venice or something? I don't know. Anyway, it's not a building over there. That's not the point. The third temple that Paul describes in the Bible is us. We are the temple of the Holy Ghost. It's us and God that access. We went through all the book of Hebrews. We did so much in Hebrews this fall. Go back to those messages. They're out there on the internet. Go grab those messages and go back through the access. We went through that whole series about the steps through the Psalms, we went to the Psalms of Ascent earlier this year, how we moved ourselves closer and closer and closer to God. Getting higher and higher and higher and getting closer and closer and closer to the Lord so that we can experience God. <laughs> Not sleeping on Sunday, but experiencing God. Although we all like to have our Sunday, morning, uh, Sunday afternoon naps, right? <laughs> Sunday afternoon naps. We love it. I love my Sunday afternoon nap. On Christmas Day, I took a nap. Because I was really sick last Sunday. And I took that nap, and I rested, and I woke up so refreshed I could enjoy Christmas evening at, at her house. It was so great to be with family. As, as a sanctified time. To not have to go to work, to not have to worry about this bill and that. Just to sit down and enjoy a meal with family. And to experience the blessedness of God. So yes, resting from all the labors, resting from all the stresses, resting from all the tension. Giving rest so that we can focus on what's the most important things. What's the most important things? Jubilee and Teresa are trying to ante up. They, Daddy, I love you 3,000%. I love you 4,000%. 5,000%. just on the phone this morning on the way to church. That's what's important. That's what's important, family. That we meet with God and meet with each other. It's not rules. It's not the letter of the law, Paul says. It's the spirit of the law. That God wants us to be at peace with each other and peace with Him and experience the blessing of peace. It's not rules, it's the ruler. That's when the ruler can take control of our lives and he can make something in those six days that we have come on the seventh day to celebrate. This is what God did these last six days. This is what God did in these last six days. This is how many things God was able to do. And we can come together as a family, as a people of God, and say, look what God did over these past six days. Wasn't it exciting? What did God do in your life these last six days? 
And what is God getting ready to do in the next six days? And that's what it's all about. It's this beautiful, peaceable habitation that we're talking about. Are you enjoying this peace? Are you experiencing this peace? The world is full of chaos and will ruin it if you let the world take over. And it's time just to figure out a way through faith to block out the world and to experience that's what Jesus did. He left the disciples all the time. That's what I love. One of the great things I love about that uh, TV series they have out there called The Chosen. Because most of the time, Jesus is all gone. And it's just the disciples. They're worried about this, and they're worried about that. And that's what our conversations are, right? We're worried about this, and we're worried about that. <laughs> and Jesus is like, they're all, oh, know, he's gone off to pray again. And then they're wondering, how does Jesus do all this stuff? Because he went off to pray so much. Because he's so connected to the Father that he brings that peace. He brings a peace of heaven. He brings that peace to earth. And in the midst of chaos, when the demonic child is going crazy, he can bring that peace. And they said, well, how do we do this, Jesus? He said, this kind that cometh not forth, but by fasting and prayer. You have to be connected to heaven to bring about heaven on earth. Now he's up there with Peter. We talked about that, right? The transfiguration. He's, going, he's up there with Moses and Elijah. He's got the law and the prophets. He's up there glowing. And the disciples are down there trying to cast out demons and they can't do it. And he shows up and they said, well, we just couldn't do this. What happened? Because you're not connected enough. You haven't experienced and tapping into those riches of heaven and then bringing them about on the earth as much as possible. Like fruit. Like fruit. Fruit is simply, a grape is taking what God has given the earth and storing it inside of its skin so we can get a taste of heaven. And that's what the psalmist says, taste and see, get God is good. A grape is simply taste. An apple is just simply tasting the goodness of God, the life that he poured forth from heaven through the rain. And how the ground grabs the rays of the sun and grabs the nitrogen and all the things from the earth, grabs it out of the skies and pulls it in. All the oxygen we receive from the, the plants. It's just amazing how we all are interconnected. And then we take a bite of that apple and how sweet it is. Or peaches or whatever we're going to have tonight. <laughs> and the, I know I miss Linda because she's always saying it's peachy. Peaches, a taste of heaven. And that's what we are to do, is try in this life as much as possible to give anyone we encounter a taste of heaven. That's what we're trying to do. Isn't that amazing? That's all what God intended here. For us to build a habitation where people can come and experience the peace of God in a world of chaos. And that's what he's called us to. Father, we thank you that you're the Prince of Peace. That a child was born so that we could be born again. Born from above, as we talked about last week. That a son is given. That you gave Jesus. And then Jesus gave back to you. And because of that, the Spirit was given to us. Now what are we going to give? And then... He doesn't stop there. The prophet continues to pour it out, calling him the prince, the son, the prince, the child, the seed of peace. 
And we need to receive that seed of peace into our lives and then we need to spread it, that seed all around. Just like the birds of the air, they eat and then they drop the seeds from the fruit they've eaten and they spread it and new bushes and new trees and new plants, new life grow up where in new places because they've dropped that seed. It's exactly what you call Adam and Eve to do, to take the seeds from Eden and to plant it in the rest of the earth that was wild in a wilderness and a wasteland. So Father, help us to receive that peace, that seed of Christ into our lives today and go out and reseed the earth that's full of death and reseed it with life. We know it's winter. And our deacon reminds us so much how much about it being winter. But we can take in this winter the seed of who you are and take in that peace that was meant at Christmas time. The peace and goodwill to all men. We can take that in. And then we can go and drop those seeds of peace wherever we go. Where there's hatred, let us sow love. And everything that's against you and diabolical out there, we can bring the opposite in the fruit of the Spirit. And sow that fruit, those seeds, and plant a new Eden. And make this earth like heaven. The garden of God. Help us, Father, to plant a garden. To prepare for the spring when it's time to plant. Father God, you're going to give us the opportunity to plant. So help us to gather our seeds and gather this peace and be able to plant it wherever we find stress, chaos, darkness. Let us shine your light and plant these seeds. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this broadcast. You can find out more about us at dken.cc. That's D-K-E-N dot C-C. We look forward to seeing you next time. God bless you.